we welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. Acts chapter number 6. And practically, uh, in the uh, life that we live and the responsibilities that are assigned to us in ministry, uh, we see the lessons that we've been taught this week lived out in Acts chapter number 6. And so let's read verses 1 through 8. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Notice the phrase we find in verse number 4, when the disciples said, but we will give ourselves. I want to speak to you on that subject. We will give ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we have gathered here this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord Jesus, that you would be our preacher. Help us to hear your word. Help us to be strengthened. Help us to be renewed. Thank you for our friends. And we pray for your blessing upon them and their ministries, their marriages, their homes. Protect them as they leave today, as they return home and to their responsibilities. And I just pray, God, that you would uh, produce great fruit in their lives as a result of this time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will give ourselves. We all give ourselves to something, right? But what is it that we are giving ourselves to? Well, I think it, there's no doubt about it that we give ourselves to the things that we love. We give ourselves to the things that we love. And the defining act of love is giving. In John 3.16, the Bible said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God's demonstration of love to us, the act of love, was the fact that he gave to us his Son. When Paul wrote to husbands and wives concerning their relationship, he says to husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
So the defining characteristic, the defining action of love is giving. And here we find that the apostles loved the Lord Jesus. They loved Him so intensely. They loved Him to such a degree that they were willing to give themselves, their lives, to the task that the Lord had called them to, the task of the ministry. What then should we give ourselves to? Well, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostles rather, here in Acts 6, tell us. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That was their pursuit, was it not? That was the pursuit of Paul. As Brother Paul, he has led us into Philippians this week. In Philippians chapter 3, uh, we'll repeat just some of those verses. But Paul said, beginning in verse 7 of Philippians 3, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In order for Paul to pursue the Lord Jesus, he was willing to take those things that he once considered gain and count them loss. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. What was his pursuit? His pursuit was to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the practical implications of that pursuit are seen in the life of Epaphroditus that Paul mentions to us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 25. He said, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. What a description. This gentleman, Epaphroditus, he's a brother. He's a companion and laborer. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger. He's a minister. That's the kind of guy I want to be around. That's the kind of people that have come to be with us this week. In verse 29 of Philippians 2, Paul encourages the Philippian church. He says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. By the way, that's the way we ought to treat one another. Receive them with all gladness. Hold them in reputation. It doesn't matter what school they attended or what group they were a part of. If they know the Lord Jesus Christ, if they are serving Him, there may be some points of disagreement that you have with them, but let's learn to receive one another and hold such in reputation, not tear down one another. What was his reputation? Verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus was willing to give his life. He was willing to, to give 
himself. We will give ourselves. Epaphroditus said, I will give myself for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the work of the ministry. And this is the resolve that we find that the apostles had in Acts chapter number 6. Now, as we think about what we will give ourselves to, we're going to find some practical implications here in Acts chapter 6, some great lessons that we need to learn if we're going to give ourselves to the right things because there's a myriad of things that we could give ourselves to. So first of all, if, if you're writing things down, let me say this, recognize the problems of ministry. Recognize the problems of ministry. And in those days, when the number of disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So now, problems have come to the first century church. And people have problems, don't they? Brother Edwards spoke about that yesterday. Brother Wright, who's here, I remember him saying, the ministry would be easy if it weren't for people, right? Now, we want people here. We love people. We want to serve people. But we also recognize that when you have people, you will have problems. We've had some growth in our Christian school. And when you have growth, you have a lot of new people, and you're happy about that, and you're excited about that, but that also presents challenges, and, and, and things change. The dynamic of a classroom changes. The, the, the spirit can change. So there are lots of problems that come as a result of growth, but we all want to see growth. We want the kingdom of God to advance. So we understand that there will always be problems in ministry. Sometimes I lament those problems and, and I say, you know, I'm sick of dealing with problems. And then the Lord reminds me, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help people with problems. But there's a great temptation in how those problems are addressed and how I give my energy and how I give myself. We often have a tendency to magnify the problems of ministry. In Nehemiah chapter number 4, uh, Judah said to Nehemiah, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish. Man, there is a lot of problem here on this work site. All I'm dealing with is a lot of garbage. Do you ever feel that way? So that we are not able to build the wall. We have a tendency to magnify the problems of ministry. And those problems are a reality because Satan hates the church and he attacks it. Because sinners fill the church and they have the potential to help the church or they have the potential to hurt the church. And sometimes they do both, don't they? And so God has given us the responsibility to help people and help them in their problems. So, number one, we recognize here the problems of ministry. Number two, we resist the pressures of ministry. You see, as long as the problem remained mishandled and unresolved, then the potential was there to disrupt the unity of the church, and the apostles came under pressure to address the problem. 
I, I don't like conflict personally. I don't like it. Um, I, I try to avoid it, and, and sometimes I'm not able to. And I'm a people person. That's my nature. Uh, I want people to like me. Uh, I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness or maybe both, uh, but that is, that is who I am. And so when people have problems, I, I, can, I can sense it almost immediately. We have a staff meeting and somebody's disengaged or a little perturbed. I can sense it. I, I'm talking to Brother Hickman or, or Brother Odom and trying to head some things off. And we need to check on this person. They seem a little unhappy. Let's, it just disrupts me. That's, that's my nature. And that can be a big weakness. And it perhaps at some times can be a strength. But problems bring pressures to our lives. We know it brought pressure to the disciples because in verse 2, the Bible says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The temptation here is that because of the problem and the need to solve the problem, that the disciples would leave that which was the most important to meet the needs of the immediate. That was the pressure that they were under. And that pressure was magnified because when the problem came, it wasn't handled correctly. The people murmured, the Grecians murmured against the Hebrews. And if there's one thing that disrupts a pastor in his heart, it's when people are murmuring. When there's a little bit of an undercurrent, you've heard that word before, right? <laughs> You're trying to advance and go forward, and there's a little bit of an undercurrent, right? Well, that's very disruptive in our spirit. And there's a pressure there, a tendency on our part, especially if we want people, to, if we're trying to keep everybody happy, to, to leave the Word of God and serve tables. Well, Martha's a great picture of that, isn't she? In Luke chapter 10, in verse number 40, the Bible said, But Martha was encumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I think Martha exemplifies sometimes my spirit, my, my, the temptation that comes to me when I'm under pressure because there's a problem. You see, Martha developed the wrong attitude. She developed the wrong attitude toward her service. She was cumbered about with much serving. All she could see was all of her responsibilities and all the things that she had to do. I remember the day when I would have given my right arm for the opportunity to do these things. You didn't have to beg me to get into the service of the Lord. I wanted to be in the service of the Lord. I remember that day. Martha developed the wrong attitude toward her service. There's too much to do. There's too many problems. And, and that, that has a way, that spirit has a way of, of finding us, doesn't it? And becoming ours. 
Martha developed the wrong attitude about her sister. Lord, she's left me alone. She's not helping me. And we get that way, don't we, when we're under pressure. Martha developed the wrong attitude about her Savior. Lord, dost thou not care? Lord, you called me to do this, and now here I am all by myself. I've got nobody who cares, nobody who's wanting to help me. <laughs> Lord, don't you care? I'm out here on an island all by myself. Lord, dost thou not care? That's when the pressures come. I love what the Lord said to Martha concerning Mary. She hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I think what the Lord is doing sometimes, no doubt I know what he's doing. He's trying to teach me and give me many opportunities to learn to choose the good part. And we can still choose the good part. And may God help us to resist this temptation by choosing to pursue that which is most important. That leads me to a third thought. We find it in verse number three. Remember the priorities of ministry. Remember the priorities of ministry. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, it wasn't even in the mind of the apostles to entertain the notion that they would neglect or leave the word of God in order to serve tables. The widows might have been happier for a time, but the church would not have been healthy. And they therefore declared, by the way, they didn't dismiss the problem. They didn't discount it. They identified it. And they addressed it. But they stated very clearly the priorities. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Ours is a ministry of prayer. I think this is one of the greatest shortcomings in my own life in ministry. A ministry of prayer. Prayer is hard work. It really is. I'm, I'm easily distracted. Brother Edwards mentioned the need to get in the office early, and, and that was for him, and, and he, he clarified that. But if I'm in the office and there's activity, I can't help myself. I, I need to do better with this, but I'm buzzing around like a bee. I want to see what, you know, how's everybody doing? How's everything going? And then, you know, you hear little whispers, and then I, again, I'm, my tendency is I got to go, go find out what's going on. I got to fix that. And everybody's problem, if I'm not careful, becomes my problem. Like God put me here to make everybody happy. Well, he didn't. He didn't. And, and because my mind gets so occupied with those things, I find that easier to do than prayer. It's hard for me just to get alone and get with God and pray. It's a challenge. But it, it is essential. When Nehemiah encountered problems, and he encountered problem after problem after problem, what did he do? He prayed. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. 
Nevertheless, in, 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 in the midst of all the problems, there's one thing Nehemiah didn't stop doing. He didn't stop praying. By the way, he didn't stop working either. He prayed and he worked. Some of the best prayer meetings I've ever had in my life is behind the wheel of a UPS truck. Some of the best sermons I've ever preached in my life are behind the wheel of a UPS truck. Some of you may say, well, go get back in that thing. <clears throat> you see, a prayer is essential to the work of God. And Nehemiah teaches us that. The work of God was conceived in prayer. He sat down, he wept and mourned, he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And God put it in his heart. And God gave him the opportunity to go to the king and present his case to the king. In fact, the king asked him. What, a, what an opportunity. It was conceived in prayer. It continued in prayer. When the enemy came against him, when there was division and, and, and there, were there were dangers without and within and strife and discord and discouragement, how did he continue? He continued in prayer. Then finally, the work of God was completed in prayer in 52 days. The wall was done. The enemy was much cast down because they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. What is it that we want people in our community to know about us? That God is there and God is at work. And if that's going to happen, we have to continue to pray. Ours is a ministry of prayer. We have to remember what our priorities are. Ours is a ministry of preaching. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Paul, getting ready, of course, to face the executioner, writing his final words to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, and verse 1 said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. What are the primary tasks of the ministers? To pray and to preach. These are the priorities that God has established. Colossians 1 in verse 28, speaking of the Lord Jesus, whom we preach. He is the object of our message. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Where do we get that? We get it from Him. He's the source of all wisdom. We get it in His Word. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What is the greatest thing you and I can do with our time? We can get into the Word of God and read it and study it. Memorize it and meditate upon it. Fill ourselves with it. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We cannot do that if we neglect the ministry of the Word. And it's a, it's a difficult work, isn't it? We have an insignia, a, a, a logo that is on the doors, and as you enter into the education building, it's in the gymnasium. Some of you have asked us, what does 419 mean? It means that we want people to remember Galatians 419. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again 
until Christ be formed in you. This is a work, travail in birth. A woman goes into labor and travails. It's painful, a painful process. There's no epidural for that process, by the way. Not for the preacher. I remember when our, our second oldest was born, and um, it was a prophecy of things to come. My wife, uh, they didn't get her epidural to her in time, and, and she had a hold of my arm, and I thought she was literally going to rip it off. She had such a squeeze on me, I thought, I didn't know this woman possessed this strength. <laughs> she was travailing, and it, it is a travail for us. <clears throat> it, it requires that we pour ourselves, our whole being. And it, 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 it is, it's painful, and it is a process I travail in birth again. <laughs> you mean I got to do this again? Yes, you got to do this again. On Monday morning when we wake up and we've had uh, the opportunity to preach on the Lord's Day, on Monday morning, what do we recognize? We got to do this again. Or when we counsel a couple that's been to see us several times and we have to again tell them the same thing that we told them before. We, it's a process again until, here's the product, Christ be formed in you. Well, the only way that can happen is if the word of God is proclaimed. Now, Samuel, Samuel in the Old Testament provides a pattern for us to follow. You remember that God, God allowed Samuel as the people asked for a king, and it broke the heart of Samuel. And the Lord said, Give them a king. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. By the way, we have a tendency to take this very personally, don't we? Very personally. If somebody leaves our church, it affects us in a very personal way. And I think to a degree that's a good thing, but there can be a degree where that becomes an unhealthy thing for us. Because we have to recognize if we're being faithful to Christ, they're not walking away from us, they may be walking away from the Lord. Not in every case. People leave churches for different reasons. But I think you understand what I'm, I'm trying to say there. Now Samuel, at the end of his life in 1 Samuel 12, he, he stood before the people. And in verse 3 he said, Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. Now they couldn't have said that about Eli's sons. But they could say it about Samuel. You see... Apparently, I mean, those boys were wicked boys, sons of Belial, we know that. They were more concerned about themselves than they were the ministry of the Lord. And they turned the hearts of the people away from serving God. And by the way, there's a, there's a trap for us that we can become so concerned about ourselves that we forget who we're trying to point people to. And Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. We don't, we don't commend ourselves. We're here to preach 
Christ. And this is integrity. That's what, that's what Samuel demonstrates for us is integrity. And that's what the apostles demonstrate for us in Acts chapter 6. Their integrity to recognize that, yes, there are problems and pressures, but we're not just here to keep you happy. We're not just here to entertain you. We're here to please God and serve Him. And then we read in verse 7 of, of 1 Samuel 12, two, two characteristics of His ministry. Verse 7, Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. His was a ministry of instruction, preaching. I'm here to tell you what God has done for you and what God has written in his law. I'm here to reason with you. I'm here to proclaim this message to you. That's what we're here to do. And then in verse 23 of 1 Samuel 12, Moreover, as for me... God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. What, what a convicting verse. If I'm not praying for the people that God has given me the responsibility to shepherd under Him, then I am not doing what God has called me to do. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you prayer and the ministry of the word. I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in faith, or in truth rather, with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. What, what a lesson he provides. Well, that leads me to a fourth thought, and that is this. Rest in the promises of ministry. Rest in the promises. Number one, I recognize the problems. There are problems. But I don't allow the problems to overtake me. Therefore, I have to resist the pressures. And what enables me to resist the pressure is to remember the priority that God has given. And then fourthly, to rest in the promises of ministry. You see, when we refuse to be dissuaded from our purpose and we resolve to give ourselves continually. Continually, that's, that's a daily process. To the Word of God, to prayer, and to the ministry of the Word, then we cease from our own insufficiency and we learn to rest in Jesus. I am an insufficient minister. I don't mean that in any false uh, humility or any expression of false that is the truth. I preach the worst sermon in the history of the Christian church nearly every Sunday, at least in my own viewpoint. I'll say sometimes to my wife, although I don't say it as frequently as I used to, was that okay? Did you understand what I was trying to say? Did I get my point across? At some point, I just have to rest in the promises of God. If I truly rested in the promise of God, then I would pray more. 
I wouldn't be with Martha carrying all the dishes around. That has to be done, by the way, and don't ever get too big to do that. But I wouldn't neglect the prayer closet to do that. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. God is able, isn't he? 2009, Dr. Settle, Robert Settle, who was a pastor here at Tabernacle and the founder of our Christian school, he came to see me. And he began to tell me about some of the opposition that was faced in the early days of the Christian education movement here in North Carolina and how the North Carolina Christian School Association was founded, the American Association of Christian Schools. and He went through that story with me. And, and to be honest with you, my mind was so preoccupied with what I was dealing with at the time, I don't think I appreciated that conversation as much as I should have. And then he said to me, one more thing, Brother Hooks, we used to walk around this shopping center and pray that God would give it to us. And he said, he may do it still. And I thought, well, that's nice. And then I, I walked into that Lowe's grocery store and um, I walked into the produce section and it's got that high roof and all those steel beams and and I thought, wow, this would be a really nice auditorium, you know. And then Lowe's Grocery Store and Harris Teeter made a deal with each other. Lowe's gets Hickory and whatever area else they get, and Harris Teeter gets Charlotte. Well, I think Harris Teeter probably got the better, the better end of the deal. So the Harris Teeter, which is just down the street, closes... And Lowe's takes over Harris Teeter. And they had just built a Lowe's maybe two miles from it. And then another two or three miles up 127 is another Lowe's. I mean, there are Lowe's. I mean, almost everybody in Hickory has their own Lowe's to go to. And I began to think they might not keep this location open. And then eventually one day we heard the news that they're, they're pulling out. They're pulling out. And I remembered my conversation with Dr. Settle. And when we leave, my family, when we leave school a lot of times, we'll drive through the little, the little service road in front of the shopping center out to 16th, and I'll turn, take a left and go to my house. And the girls are with me, Avery and Macy, my youngest too. And I would say to them, girls, do you believe God is able to give this to us? And they said, yes. And I said, well, let's pray. And we did that several times. And God did. God did. What is God going to do? I don't know. I've got some thoughts in mind. But I know this. If I call on him, if I call on him, he said he would answer. And do great and mighty things that I don't know that he can do or will do. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we what? 
Ask or think. And he invites us openly to do what? To ask. Ye have not because ye ask not. So ask and receive. What's it going to take for that message to get through to me? I think the most important thing I got to do is figure out why somebody on the finance committee is not happy or why one of the deacons is disgruntled or why so-and-so may not, you know, has left the church or, or, or how can I help this staff member with their situation. That is not the most important thing I have to do. The important thing I have to do is give myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplished. Don't you love that word? We want to see things get done. We want to do something. In fact, we get discouraged from time to time and say, I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. But God is. His word shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God has an end in mind and he's going to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes mine are out of line with his. That's where I can get frustrated. But I have to recognize that God is doing a work. And I have to learn to rest in his promises. Scott said to me one day, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, you just have to preach in faith. He probably said it a little nicer, a better flowery and ornate way than that. But that's what I got from him. Preach in faith. You know, don't, don't preach and then go home and, and make everybody miserable that your sermon was bad in your house or yourself miserable, but rest in the fact that the Word of God will accomplish its purpose. And I don't care how good a preacher you are or how bad a preacher you think you are, God's Word is powerful. And without His power and without His Spirit and without His Word, no matter how flowery and ornate and how wonderful you are, to deliver it, it wouldn't take any effect in any heart. I'm amazed that the times I feel the crummiest about some of my sermons, people say, boy, Pastor, that, that really helped me today. And I'm like, how in the world? <laughs> Again, Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? None of us are. Our sufficiency is of God. That's in those verses that Brother Edwards recommended that we read in 2 Corinthians. So, we rest in the promises of the Word. God's Word is sufficient. When Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word, before he said that, he said this in 2 Timothy 3, 15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures are sufficient to bring people to salvation. Preach the Word. God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them who are lost. 
What's the great need of our hour? To get the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And, and what's the, what is the method that God has chosen? That is the preaching of his word. It will save the souls of the lost. But he's also writing to a young, timid pastor who's frustrated because he's pastoring a group of people in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a wicked city. And the people are they're behaving more like Ephesians than they are Christians. Or in Corinth, more like Corinthians than Christians. What's going to change them? How in the world am I ever going to get through? Well, Paul gives the answer. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's always good to spend time in the Word of God. It's always profitable when we preach the Word of God. What's it profitable for? Doctrine. That's our beliefs and teachings for reproof. That, that tells me I'm wrong for correction. That tells me how to get right. And for instruction in righteousness. That tells me how to keep right. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. If the person in our church or the people in our congregation are to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, it is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So God's Word is sufficient. Therefore, I must choose to rest in His promises. Well, we'll close right here. Number five, realize the progress of ministry. Realize the progress of ministry. If you look at verses 5 through 7, uh, you will note the word and is used on at least six different occasions. There are six different results that occur as a result of the choice that the disciples, apostles made to keep the main thing the main thing. Look at it with me, if you would, in verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Well, that rarely happens, right? But when you keep the main thing the main thing, God has a way of doing that. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost, and those other men who they set before the apostles and prayed over them. Look at verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Hey, realize the progress of ministry. When, when, when we are, are, are encumbered with problems and pressures, we have a tendency, like the people in Nehemiah's day, to say, the strength of the bears of the burdens is decayed. There is much rubbish. We are not able to build. You see, when we maximize the problems, we minimize the progress. God is doing a work. You can't always see it, and you can't always measure it, but you know that God is doing a work. How do I know that? Because he promised to Isaiah 55, my word will not return void. God's good to keep his promises, isn't he? God is at work. It may not be in your time frame or according to your exact precise expectation. It's better than that. God is at work. 
So don't fail to realize the progress. God is using you. Lives are being changed. God is working in hearts. You see, the problems were addressed in, in verse number five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They, they liked the idea of, of choosing these men to serve tables and, and to allow the apostles to continually give themselves to the word of God in prayer. They thought that was a good idea. So the problems were addressed. And then they, they, they chose these men, and, and these men took on the responsibility of serving tables. Problems were addressed, and people were saved. Look again in verse 7. And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Something that seemed as if it was potentially on the edge of causing discord and division and, and, and perhaps destruction to the church, and we've all been there where we thought, man, this thing is so big. I mean, this, this whole thing could fall apart. And God turned it around, didn't he? That's why I take great hope in that verse. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and I, 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 I tell myself that a lot, especially when in my frailty and my own insufficiency, I think, man, this thing's about to come apart. No, it's not. It's going exactly where he wants it. People were saved. What a blessing. And the power was seen. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. God's hand was on them. And God's hand is on you. So let's keep the main thing, the main thing. This one thing I do, we've been reminded of that this week. I asked somebody, I can't remember who, I really can't. And I can't remember exactly when. But I asked somebody to do something, and, and they, they did part of it. They didn't do it fully. They did it a little differently. And by the way, I used to do that when I worked for Pastor Sexton. Not always intentionally, but sometimes... Sometimes, as, as somebody once told me, I, have a, I always think I have a better idea, and, and I did have that plague. I, I had it beaten out of me. But I said this, and, and I've said this about my kids before. I wish they would do what I ask them to do. Have you ever said that? I, I just wish they would do what I asked them to do. And do you know what happened next? God said to me, so do I. And Acts 6 has been on my heart ever since. My job is not to build his church. That's his job. My job is not to have a meeting or a conference or to preach somewhere or to be the most loved man in Hickory or to accomplish some statistical number to declare my success or to make myself feel good about what I'm doing. My job is to give myself to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. 
The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2022 is scheduled for September 5th through the 7th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to be with us. For more information on REST, please visit our website, therestconference.com.